Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Insurance Brokers Podcast. On this episode, we're delighted to be speaking to Gary Williamson of South Essex Insurance Brokers. Gary has over 25 years experience in the industry across all elements and joined South Essex in February of this year. Welcome, Gary. Good morning, Gary. Thank you very much for coming to have a chat to me today on the Insurance Brokers podcast. It's really lovely to have you here. Morning, Sarah. It's my pleasure. A little bit early, but still looking forward to it. The earlier, the better for me, I think. My brain functions up until about 2 p.m. and then it's over. (laughs) So I thought it'd be really interesting to have a chat with you on the podcast Mm. to talk about your background, South Essex Insurance Brokers, what you're doing, what your plans are, what your growth aims are, and just to give everybody sort of an overview of Gary. So um, how about we start with telling me a bit about yourself and your background and how you came to end up where you are. Obviously, you're oh, not from Essex. No, clearly not. No, no <laughs> you can tell it from the accent. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, I've been in the insurance game um, more than half my life. So like most people in 25 years in the game, find myself in it sort of by accident one day because I wanted a job in an office uh, somewhere nice and warm. I've been working outside all summer. So yeah, no, I was a high street insurance broker for, for a few years. Um found myself through a couple of redundancies as, as many as have been through in, in, in this market um, in an insurer. So I went to work for, for AXA. So I went from broker to insurer, spent a good 10 years or so. Um, AXA, AIG, CNA, the HSB had some great years um, learning the ropes in some of the major insurers. I um, was lucky enough to work in the Lloyds market for a couple of years as well with, with CityNet on the on the development side. So got to understand some of the challenges and the fun sides of working in the in the city. Um, but yeah, I worked down, moved down to um, to London with HSB to be regional manager of the London business there, International Book, and then like loved it down here and, and chose to stay and uh, found myself somehow out in, in South Essex uh, earlier this year, which has been a, a fantastic move for me so far. So how long have you been at South Essex? So I joined in, in February um, this year, so it felt like forever sort of uh, getting on board. I was doing some consulting before I... Uh, I came along but joined fully in uh, in February and it's uh, obviously an interesting time to join having uh, you know a couple of months in the office and then everything went a little bit pear-shaped as we know. Yeah absolutely how did you find that process because obviously joining any new firm is you know great fun exciting and that's sort of been taken away by Covid? To be fair no it's probably added to it in, in some ways it sounds a bit a bit bizarre but I think you know you you learn more about any business and yourself a little bit as well in, in in a time of difficulty. And I think, you know, it would have been quite a simple transition into, you know, a, a fairly understandable business in, in, in SEIB. But I think, you know, it's, it's so much easier, I guess, to learn about the challenges and the things that we really faced uh, by seeing it in, in a point of, I guess, you know, real change and, and you know, and the significant um, issues that businesses just never face and didn't, you know, weren't prepared for. So I think, you know, those first few weeks were a little bit reactive, I guess. You know, we did everything we, we possibly could to um, ultimately to be able to service our customers. And um, that was a, the real challenge for us. But we weren't set up for people to work at home. I think we only had a, a handful of laptops. There's 130 people now in the SEIB business. 
And across those, we literally had a handful of laptops, a handful of mobile phones. You know, we're heavily reliant on, on inbound telephone traffic into our, our sales teams and our, our servicing teams. Within the space of a week, we'd turn around where we had about 60% of the business up and running and live and, and over time more and more and more. And, you know, until the, the most recent announcements, we were getting pretty much all of our customer facing teams back in, in the office. And I think we now dispersed again, as, as you'd expect, and our non-customer facing teams are, are, are based at home. And we've just been, you know, we've learned a lot about our business and learned a lot about ourselves through that time. But, you know, the teamwork, the morale, the energy in the business has, has been second to none. And I think that's that's been the thing that you've seen in, in the really good businesses. Uh, and we've seen lots of those out there that have really, really sort of mucked in and, and just, just grafted through it. And I think it's taken that. It's taken real hard work. It's really taking leadership as well, which which we've had, um, and that's been been great. Um, and we just had to make some calls and run with it a little bit. And I think it's you know we've learned a lot about ourselves, and and actually the results have been have been really really solid through that time to a point now where we find ourselves at the I was going to say the back end of it, but obviously we're not into the the sort of next stage of it where we find ourselves recruiting and bringing new bodies on on board, which is which is tremendous really, given where we thought we might be in uh, in March. That is, that's absolutely incredible. What is your role within, uh, I know your learning and development, what does that entail and how, how have you had to, what areas within that particular role have you seen within South Essex and, and been able to develop? Sure. Well, it's, uh, our role is trading and development. So anything that is effectively um, customer facing, so anything that I manage the sales teams, the commercial teams, motor trade, question underwriting various different parts of, of the business that, that sort of fit together but effectively anything that's that's trading anything that's customer facing anything that's that's revenue generating and insurer relationships and markets w- would come into myself and I have an overview for for the business and it's it, it's been it's been a challenge I think you know the the revenue generating bit has, has been around you know the worry with with some of the schemes and facilities that we have in those more leisure sort of trades and, and areas that were going to be hugely impacted initially by by the COVID pandemic, we were a little bit concerned about upfront, but I think what we saw in terms of drop off in those first couple of months, we've seen come back to us. We've got that great customer loyalty and people buy the service and the ethos and, and the experience of SEIB have come back to us. So, so where we saw initial drop offs, we've, we've seen that come back. The customer service part was a challenge, obviously, just in terms of, of maintaining that. And I think generally speaking, the client, the customer has been fantastic through this. I think, you know, we, we've had a job to educate and to bring people along. And I think we've done a tremendous job um, in terms of digital marketing and just just connecting with our our customers really through that time, as well as what the teams are doing on on the phone. So they bet, you know, they waited, they sort of bore with us a little bit for the first few weeks while it was really, really challenging. But, you know, retention's been as as high as ever and and new business is is good. So things have gone well. I think probably the most challenging thing has has been the markets just been engaging with the you know a lot of the the composites and the major insurers where you know everyone's gone through this period of change some have dealt with it tremendously well and some haven't and that's been the biggest issue for us i think is that you know what we found is we probably ended up doing more business with nimble mgas into lloyd's markets and and those kind of players where they've been open for business they've had an appetite and you've been able to get older people and, and actually you've, you've built much stronger relationships through this whereas i think some insurers have probably damage their reputation relationships a little bit through this time by just not wrapping themselves around the brokers and thinking I'm, a bit too insular. I'm hearing I'm hearing that time and time again over the last six months. It's been um, it's not been an easy six months by any means in, in that respect. And one of the podcasts I did was with Ian Lloyd from iPrism. 
and um, that was that was that was a really good chat as well. And we were talking about. I made up a new word called nimbility, the nimbility of the smaller NGAs and how actually that could be a good direction to get through a lot of what's probably coming. Just on that, so many things you've just said that I've thought of questions for. I've forgotten half of them already. So just on that, so you guys are very well known as the equestrian broker, but actually that's not all you do. You've got 16 different specialisms and we've obviously talked previously about the marketing and the sales aspect of each of those different Mm. specialisms. What I want to ask is how do you maintain the specialist nature of your brand and stop it coming into sort of a generalist with so many specialisms? That's a really good point. I think um, think the 16 is from our our business cards where we talk about being specialists and and obviously we've mentioned all our specialisms and it does make us sound a little bit generalist but I think we are a mix of, of both. There's almost a couple of businesses within within SCIB, sir. And I think the, you know, we've got a really strong commercial general open market business as well, which perhaps we don't shout enough about. Um, and that's definitely an area that we've seen some real progress and growth in um, too. Just being the local broker for for our clients in Ockenden and South Essex, um, which isn't a particularly overbroked area actually. So we, we do find that we've got that. But the specialist um, nature is, I think, what we are fantastic at doing is, is you talk about marketing there is. It's sort of, and this comes from not just a year or two working in these specialisms, it's 20 years, 50 years in, in some cases in the equestrian side, of really wrapping ourselves around um, the clients and, and the customers and, and the, everyone really in, in, in those spaces. So from a equestrian perspective, for instance, you know, we've, we've run our um, Search for a Star event 26 years now, which is um, linked to the uh, Horse of the Year show. So that's something that you see SEIB, you see our brand in Horse and Hound magazine on a, on a weekly basis. You see our brand all over the equestrian world. You know, we are absolutely knitted into, into that space. We ensure some of the biggest equestrian membership groups um, in, the, in the country. And I think if you talk to people about insurance in, in the equestrian world, then SEIB is, is a very, very familiar brand. And that's really through, through longevity and through effort and passion, actually, as well, I think. One of the things that really comes across at SEIB is you're dealing with experts. Uh, and that was one of the things that really drove me towards this, this business. I mean, I knew nothing about equestrian insurance before I joined. And the, the guys and girls that we have in our team are so passionate about that. We've got a number of people here in this business. In fact, it's a high percentage that own horses, that are passionate, that, that ride, that race, that, that show jump and various different things. And it's, it really comes across in what we do. So we understand, you know, from a, from a customer perspective, I think it's not just Talking a good game, it's actually really understanding and showing that. But equally, in, in the feudal director world, we've worked with Barry, set that relationship up. We've been the broker for the National Association of Feudal Directors now for 30 years, I think it's 20, 30 years. Um, and we've had a great relationship at top and down to uh, individual and um, funeral directors level for, for a number of years. And again, sponsorship, support, trade shows, we just do so much with them. And, and again, people come to us for advice and support in that world. They just know it. So, Again, there are real sort of core specialisms, but over the last few years, again, just through hiring good quality people who understand the products. So motor trade, for instance, is a huge growth area for us. We've had a motor trade team now for a, a few years, and we've got some of the best motor trade people in the market, um, ex-insurers as well as brokers. So we, we do the underwriting at the front end as well. So our insurers love us for that because we, we run very well uh, managed schemes with great loss ratios. Our clients love us because it's a great product. We offer different quirks. We understand those. And actually, we've hired a guy recently who sort of fits the SEIB mould. He's just really passionate about the motor trade. He's a tinkerer himself. And, you know, he goes to see garages and talks to them about something that he's passionate about. So it's not even like it's a job. So 
you know, we continue to develop our, our brand, our marketing, whether that's face-to-face, whether that's digital marketing. We've got um, Nick Hughes has been in our marketing team now for a long, long, long time as well. He's so knitted and ingrained in that equestrian world that even if people don't know SCIB, they know um, Nicky McKenzie, which is which is really, really strong as, as well. So, you know, most things here say down to people. I think what I find really interesting, and like I say, I'm talking to lots and lots of different brokers across all different sizes. And there's a lot of, of community brokers for, for the local area doing general commercial insurance. And there are some that have particular specialisms. But what's really come out when we've been talking before is about how your niche is developed around the internal team that you have. So your niches have come out of experience that you've then built on with each of your individual people. And I think that's really important to talk the talk, walk the walk and really understand. And it also gives you it gives you a focus. So a lot of what we're talking to people about and what we've talked about is about the um, the integrated sales and marketing infrastructure within your business growth aims. And what underpins that is focus. So that's what I find really interesting about, you know, the niche schemes, because your focus goes from your, you know, every step of the journey to doing the events and being involved in, in yeah. you know, horse events and the world. So I think it's incredible. What have you what have you seen across obviously the leisure industry, but what have you seen across the different specialisms you guys have with COVID? What's happening to your customers and how are you servicing it? Now what the reason I'm asking this question is because generally people that are listening to the insurance broker podcast might be of a smaller size because you guys are obviously, I think you're about 40 million GWP, are you? That's right. Yeah, now we are. Yeah. Yeah. So they might be of a smaller size with aspirations. And and what's really helpful is to hear about sort of the underpinning business aims and thoughts behind. So what are you seeing in your specific specialisms across COVID and, and what are you doing about it? Okay. So there's been a few, a few really good examples. I think if we touch on an obvious one that people always ask us about in this current situation is the funeral directors. It's oh, funeral directors must be tremendously busy. Well, well, actually, it's not necessarily the case. There's been a huge impact on the funeral director world that a lot of people don't recognise because the average cost of funerals has obviously plummeted um, over the last few months simply because you haven't had the same amount of people attending funerals. It's, it's been a very different affair to a standard funeral where a lot of funeral directors wouldn't just make the money from you know the coffins and the actual um, funeral itself it's from some of the other services that you'd expect to see from the vehicles and limousines so we've, got, we've seen a lot of vehicles being taken off the road uh, and those kind of challenges and, and their income actually dropping down to some extent in some cases so what we've we've tried to do we've we've been i think it's fair to say leading in in, in this space on that and on other areas such as taxis and couriers which are other schemes that we have where we've, we've spoken to our insurers literally on day one and said look we need to offer something else to these guys we need to offer laid up cover for some of the vehicles and not just taking things off the road or not having things insured these are expensive specialist vehicles but it's understanding the challenges that our funeral director clients would face our taxi clients would face our chauffeur clients would would face and i think you know taxi whether it's laid up or we've had a number of different taxi providers coming to us sorry taxi companies coming to us saying you know, we're going to do some courier work instead of ferrying people around at this time as well. It's just, it's getting in front of that and having a solution in place for them, I think is really important. And how do you get that to filter through? So obviously that's the vision. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to offer. How do you get every stage of your your management and your actual client-facing staff to be in that mentality? Okay. 
Well, they, I mean, staff-wise, there's, there's obviously a lot of internal engagement on this. And the idea is a great part, of, of again, of this business at SEIB. It's quite a flat structure. We've got those who are on the front line are, as you know, often the decision makers in the business. They speak to these clients on a daily basis. They understand the challenges they face. They know what's coming up. So from a staff perspective, we've had an awful lot of engagement. And the ideas have come from within the business. And from an insurer perspective, we work very, very closely with the, the insurer partners we have on the schemes. We've got some huge partnerships in, in place there. Uh, and again, you know, generally speaking, no problem because what they recognize at SEIB and like most good schemes brokers is we understand the client, we understand the product better than a lot of the insurers do. So we know the challenges and the niches there and they're relying on our experience and expertise to make recommendations and changes. And ultimately, then it's about engaging with the clients and whether that's what we have done is, is is through the COVID situation, we've we've picked up the phone an awful lot more outbound now to clients. We've spoken to people on a much more regular basis, not just you know your, your standard renewal call, but throughout the cycle, we've engaged with customers much more. And also, we've we've really taken advantage of things like social media, um, digital marketing. You know, we're involved in a number of of groups on things like Facebook, for instance, where people are talking about these kind of challenges. And as soon as we hear about them, we jump on them and and we react to that and we're able to help. Or often we've actually got the solution in play and we just make sure that everyone's aware of that. So a lot more customer contact in a lot of different ways, which has been challenging, obviously. And hence, I guess we're talking to you guys. But yeah, that's something that I think, you know, we're very, very proud of, of our marketing department, both print, digital and and events absolutely and i think uh, like you say from our conversations what you're doing has the focus and it's got the process and you've got the right team in place yeah. and it's just about how do we now maximize that to build on it and and take it from the customer to the prospect to the world i suppose yeah. uh, in a very focused way of course <laughs> okay so Moving slightly from from the niche markets that you guys do, I'd like to talk, if it's okay with you, about kind of the infrastructure of SEIB because you guys are owned by Ecclesiastical. And can you talk to me a little bit about any challenges that that might bring with it? And I'm thinking specifically AXA's creation of Bluefin and the raised eyebrows that happened there and just that possible conflict. How do you guys manage it? Okay. Uh, interesting you say Axe from Bluefin. I was at Axe at the time when, uh, when Bluefin was happening around us and, and yeah, it did raise an awful lot of eyebrows and <laughs> there were an awful lot of challenges both internally and in the market actually, the perception because it was obviously one of the uh, one of the early ones and I think it did cause a bit of a storm. I think it's a bit more normal now. I think, you know, from a, a market perspective, it's not seen as as, as such a, a, an issue. I think yeah, from my perspective, I've got to say I've been I've been heartened by the relationship that we have with with ecclesiastical. So um, our management team following the buyout stayed on. So the directors are still exactly the same as before, albeit a couple of guys from ecclesiastical obviously sit on on our board. But it's SEIB led business still, and and all the brokers, the the, the three key brokers and the brokers that that sit underneath those, belong to the ecclesiastical broking family, either wholly or, or part. Are exactly the same. We've got really strong management teams in place. Um, you know, very very successful individuals and groups of people that have created phenomenal businesses and very very profitable businesses. And we do turn an awful lot of profit for ecclesiastical and underwriter that you know in, in this market obviously have their their own challenges to to deal with. So there's a real sort of hands off in terms of of how things are generally managed between the the two businesses but the right kind of support when we need it as well. So we don't report in through to the insurance business. Obviously, we report through to a separate part of the business. There's some clear walls and, and definition between those. We have a good relationship with Ecclesiastical as, a, as an insurer partner. Um, 
but it's by no means our biggest insurer partner. It's just somebody that we we use for some of the specialist areas that we that we happen to trade in. Um, but they don't fit most of the niches that, that that we deal with. So, yeah, I'd say it's 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 a good solid relationship. It's as hands off as I think we as an entrepreneurial business need it to be. But it's as hands on as we also need it to be when it comes to things like looking at broader investments in technology and, and those kind of areas that why would we do that on our own when there's three brokers within the group that between us control, you know, a couple hundred million of, of, of premium. And um, why would we not do those kind of things collectively? So it's it's that really nice balance and sense between the two, I, I think. What you've just said, that's really interesting. One of the the kind of, I suppose, the the vision behind the Insurance Brokers podcast is that as an individual, things are hard, but as a collective, this industry has such an incredible amount of knowledge and expertise. And if we can build a community out of that, we've got a support network. And that's kind of what you guys have built with Lysitz and Lloyd and White sitting on that board. Can you tell me a little bit more about sort of the interactions of, of the board, how it's set up, what benefits you get from it and how you support each other? Yeah, so I think again, you know, these things have happened over time, and they probably weren't happening as you know early on in the ecclesiastical relationship with with SCIB and the other brokers. But I think as, as CEOs, they, they engage on a, on a regular basis in, in the business, and, and at, at my level between myself and the managing directors of the of the three businesses, we we engage on on a regular basis and look at things like markets, trends, challenges, and um, partnerships. Um, you know, we, we're not. We're not the kind of brokers that you know throw our clouds around in the market too much and, and you you must do this and you must do that. We really value insurer relationships and partnerships and, and rightly so. We've got three very distinct businesses there in, in Lloyd and White, um, Lysitz and ourselves who, who work in, in very, very different lines. There's little bits of crossover. You know, we, we use each other's expertise and value in that. And I think you know, we find ourselves engaging on a fairly regular basis, but it's 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 good, it's not competitive. Uh, or not too competitive there's the odd one obviously we come across but no i think that it's, it's that you mentioned it's it's expertise and you know when you've got the expertise of the group that we have you know the relationships the sort of people we have in this business why would you not lean on them and i think we're encouraged to do that and i think ecclesiastical do a good job of bringing us together and kind of letting us get on with it then so you know, when we're looking at placement strategies we don't do so much together but i think perhaps we should do a little bit more so you know if we've got 30 million pound with an insurer across the three, then perhaps we should be going into the same people and making sure we've got, you know, we've got similar deals and and those kind of things. So really good conversations, but more than anything, it's more of a knowledge transfer, knowledge sharing. I think you're right. Things like this are an iterative process. And just in the time that this podcast has been live, I get probably weekly messages from people saying, hi, you know, I've just listened to episode X and I'm in the similar position and I took a lot from it, gave me a lot of heart. And it's so lovely to be able to share that knowledge and, and support that I think it's fabulous. I think it's, yeah. I think it's the way the world is more going than it maybe traditionally has been. So that, that collaboration with possible competitors, but actually let's view it as a collaboration opportunity is, is really important. I suppose that's part of the ethos behind some of the networks that have sprung up and, yeah. and things like that. So in terms of SEIB and your um, kind of growth aims, how do you plan for that given the last eight months? How have you gone in this niche? I want a 50% whatever in the current market. What's the logic behind it and the planning process? So I think the logic in in some areas, in certain areas, obviously, you know, our growth will be 
on a much more steady scale because you know we're very very embedded in in that space and and you know unless all of a sudden there's a an extra you know two thousand horse boxes on the road for instance you know we're only going to grow as, as as much as we can but at the right kind of pace in there but some areas so i'll throw a motor trade in as, as an example and um, we've got huge growth aspirations because we've got such a quality team we've got quality products and quality insurance partners i think what's what we've seen during this this cycle is some policies some products have, have not become I've used the term a few times, COVID proof, but I think I've got to be a bit careful about that. But we've seen retention as high as, you know, mid 90s up to 100% on some products at different times, because actually those businesses are still trading. They still need us. They still need their insurance and they still need their, their partners and probably lean on those partners more than ever because of the work that we've done over the last 10 years plus on, on our motor trade book, for instance, we've built some great partnerships, great schemes that we have with insurers. We've made them, you know, a reasonable amount of, of profit in that time with solid loss ratios to a point when actually most insurers are looking at right now as we're stepping into a hardening market. We've seen that obviously in different lines, you know, now, but in, in others perhaps less so. But we know after reinsurance and everything else, you know, the one one we'll, we'll start to see more and more. Actually, we've got products that we don't necessarily have to throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and start to really increase um, premiums at a, at a silly level. So if you've got competitive products, quality products and great people, and I think I mentioned before, Sarah, we've just invested in more great people. So Motor Trade, as an example, we brought two more people into the team because we just know that right now that is such a great growth opportunity for us. And I think we're not ignoring the market conditions, but actually we've we've traded through those market conditions. And I think, you know, we, we've, we've proven it this year. We know that we, we can, you know, we can continue on that path. Mm. You keep coming back to time and time and time again, having great people within the business. And you can feel that, you know, engaging with, with South Essex. And, and, and Katie was lovely when we spoke the other day. There is obviously a very collaborative, inclusive, consultative culture within within the business and 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 you can feel that just in talking to you so I think that's one of the hardest things of any business to get right is to get the people and that is an iterative process and you'll you'll learn as you go and things will work or won't work or the next best thing turns out to be the worst thing and uh, you see it all the time it's in, it's insane yeah. one final question for you is on obviously you guys have a uh, delegated authority for a number you know presumably across all your schemes mm-hmm. so that sort of underwriting function as it were there's an awful lot of PE money and, and and the likes going into AI and supporting if not doing some of those functions yeah. are you guys have you got like an R&D team are you looking at any of this kind of stuff is it on the radar very uh, good question I think um, one of that kind of area is something where the group has to, to come in um, because across not only SCIB but the other um, businesses in in the group um, we control an awful lot of, of scheme business. And uh, I think we're probably at different stages of that journey in, in different teams. This, again, is where it comes down to, to not just learning from within your own business, but it's learning from the wider group um, and what ecclesiastical can can bring into that as, as well. So do we look at the next trends? Do we look at the next technologies? Absolutely. I think, we, you know, as, as leaders, we spend a lot of time um, investigating and engaging with different partners and different businesses that would potentially bring, you know, something else and another solution for us. I think, again, you know, the, one of the things I really value about SCIB is we are quite a traditional broker in the sense that we really value the people input and what they do. So, um, you know, are we ever going to replace our people by machines? No, not at all. Are we going to look at technologies that give us um, a chance to service our customers and look after our insurance partners better than, than of course, you know, we, 
we spend a lot of time uh, and a lot of actually a lot of our um, our teams are set up around um, having really quality MI and our MI is a lot better than quite often than insurer MI um, and that's that again is something that I found really positive in joining the business so you know it's just the next stage of that it's the next stage of how we engage absolutely we're looking at, at different at different solutions but will it replace the human touch not at all no because that's that's what we're bloody good at here do you know what I think? Um, so I had a conversation with somebody yesterday that was really interesting. We were talking about the cliche of the changing world of sales, right? Or yeah. the changing world of buyer behavior and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I say cliche because we've been talking about this for years, you know, before even, you know, probably when I was still at school, there were people talking about, oh, everything's going to change. You've got to move with the times. You've got to be there. You've got to do that. And I think particularly for the insurance broking market, relationships are so important. And you don't sell complex commercial insurance on a, a digital marketing website. And I think there's a bit of a misnomer in terms of people's understanding of that. You know, I'm, an, I'm a relationship-based person. That's what I do. And I think where what my challenge is, is to develop that to go, yeah, absolutely, but what technology and digital marketing and podcasting and, you know, all of these things can do is can build that relationship before you've even got face to face. So it's just about using what the expected channels are to build that. So just you've kind of just hit the nail on the head there. How can you bolster that relationship? How can you make it more, uh, you know, solid and, and valuable? I, I totally agree. I think, you know, the, the ethos of SEIB since Barry set it up in 1963 um, has been around offering advice and support for customers that, that need it. I mean, we, we created a solution to a problem that was there. I mean, Barry wrote the first horse insurance policies that, that were out there. We're very, very passionate about following that through and, and giving customers advice and support. And I think, you know, we've, we've got a big team at SEIB and we'll continue to have a big team because we, we've got a lot of customers to, to service. And I think we're very passionate about that. People's buying habits have obviously changed the way that people operate. And actually, people's habits have changed even in the last six, seven months. There hasn't been, certainly in my lifetime, a bigger change in terms of the way people are operating, thinking about things than we've seen over the last the last few months. And that with that, we need to make sure that we're evolving with that, but not making knee-jerk you know, decisions thinking we know better or this has happened, so therefore. So one thing we've, we've literally just gone live with right now is we've, we've sent out a survey to our customers and to customers that we didn't win as well, actually, just to say, look, you know, how do you want to be serviced by SEIB? What what do you really value from us now? But but what do you want to do in future? How could that change? So we invest a lot in, in E-Trade. Um, you know, we, we work with customers um, digitally as as well as, as, as over the phone and face-to-face, obviously, but we don't think we know everything. You know, we know we've built a business model on relationships and face-to-face and telephone-based uh, management of our customers, but we know there's other ways of doing it as well. So I think we'll continue to evolve and, and learn. But I think the most important thing we have to, to do is make sure we're listening to our customers and what they want is what we'll do. And that's how we'll evolve. I'm going to use what you just said there because, because you've articulated what I couldn't in the conversation I had yesterday. It's not about the transactional nature of, of insurance broking that's going to change. It's about the way people buy. And even that's changed incredibly. If you just think about this conversation being over, and in fact, all the conversations we've had over Zoom, that would never have happened six, seven months ago. So so I think that's really, really incredible. So um, I've really enjoyed that, Gary. I really enjoyed listening to what you guys are doing. I think we've got very aligned mindset in 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 terms of the things we've talked about and um and it's been really interesting so thank you very very much for your time my pleasure no problem at all 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have enjoyed what you have heard, have any questions or feedback, please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you. If you would like further information on how Boston Tullis Group can support your business, or if you would like to join us on an episode, please do not hesitate to contact us.